some of you guys might know this story. I've told this story before, but some of you don't know it, so I'm just going to say it because it applies really well to what we're going to talk about. In Turkey, there was these sheep that were roaming around on this grassy field. So, you know, sheep roaming around, eating all the grass on this field, and they were kind of, you know, eating over here, then moving around to this way, and then eating over here, and they're all traveling all together. And there's about like 1,500 sheep. So imagine on these big old grassy, grassy hills, a ton of sheep just moving all around. And They're traveling all around, following together. They're like, oh, there's some grass over here, so let's go over this way. And they're eating more grass, and the grass goes away. Then they move over this way, and they eat some grass until they get to where this path is kind of naturally leading them all to. And some of you already know, and I can see your faces. It leads them right to the edge of this cliff. And so the the path leads to the edge of the cliff, and the first sheep looks off the edge of the cliff, and he looks down there, and he says, oh, man, down there looks really fun to go to. So what does he do? Jumps off the cliff splat on the ground, dead. The next sheep walks around, says, okay, this is where the path's going. And there's the other sheep down there. So I'm going to jump off too. Here we go. Splat on the ground. Next sheep done. All the sheep jump off the edge of this cliff onto the ground. 1,500 sheep, because they were just following the way of the grass, jump off the edge. 400 sheep died. It's like, wait, 1,500 sheep died. This is, this is what happened to the other ones. Because there was 400 that splatted on the ground, they created such a level of like softness that the other 1,100 that jumped off had like a bed of landing to land on. So they didn't end up dying. I mean, a lot of them got like broken bones and got super injured, but 400 and just, you can picture just all these sheep and you can imagine the people just like looking as all these sheep just like, jump off the edge. It's like, what is going on right now? It's like they were all moving together on this path, and it just led to the cliff. And so they said, oh, we've got to go to the end and jump off. So that's where the path leads to. Well, the Bible talks about this wide and this prosperous-looking path, almost like the grass path that the sheep were on. And just like there was a lot of sheep on this path, the Bible says that on this wide path, there are tons of people on it. And this path that the Bible describes as this wide and easy path seems like a good path, but at the end, it leads to destruction. At the end, it leads to danger. At the end, it leads to consequences. It's not a good path, although it seems like it is. And just like the story of the sheep, the Bible talks about as all these people are walking down this great path thinking it's okay, it leads to consequences at the end. The Bible contrasts this wide and easy path to another narrow and difficult small path. And I want you to make sure that you are not on the wide path that's leading to destruction, that's leading to consequences, but rather you're on a different path. So how can you know that you are on the right path? How can you know that you're not on this wide path leading to destruction? How can we know that? Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It gives us the answer to that question. What is the other option? Do we all just have to go down this wide path that's leading to destruction, or is there an alternative? Let's see what Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, which is our theme verse, says. Matthew 7, 13. It says this, Enter by the narrow gate. 
So picture in your mind this small little entranceway. Like you probably have gates to like the side of your house. Now picture a really small, a really crammed gate, gate in the corner. It's like, man, that's really t- tiny. It says, hey, that is the gate that you are to enter into. Okay, why, why do I need to enter into this narrow gate? It says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So it contrasts this small gate with, hey, there's another option. There's this wide gate. And this wide gate leads to this easy way. It's like, oh man, it looks really good. A lot of people can fit through picture like this massive gate as tons of people can walk through it. They're traveling through this gate and it looks easy. It looks great. It looks awesome. But guess what it leads to? It leads to destruction, kind of like the path that the sheep run. Looks like a nice field. It leads to a cliff. And guess what? Those who enter this wide gate, those who enter it are many. So tons of people are going down this wide path. On the contrary, verse 14, it says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So as opposed to this wide gate that looks very easy, here on the other side, there's a small little gate. And guess what? It leads to this path that is difficult, this path that looks challenging. You can almost picture like a crevice where someone's like maybe crawling in between like two edges of a cliff and like squeezing their way through. It's like, man, that looks challenging. That looks difficult. That looks hard. And the description says those who find it are few. So there's very few people going down this path as opposed to the other. So in this passage, we see that there are two different paths to take. And everyone of all of human history, including us sitting in this room, are either on one path or the other. And there are two different paths, one that's small, one that's wide. Two different ends to the path, the small path that leads to life, namely eternal life, and the wide path that leads to death, separation from God. And there's also two distinctions into how many people are on this path, this narrow path, this difficult path. Very few people are willing to go down it. Sketchy looking. Oh man, I'm not even sure if I can make it through that, that little crevice there. Can I make it? Not too many people are going that, whereas this wide path, this wide gate that people go onto the path is like, man, seems like a lot of people can fit. Seems super nice. Seems really good. But guess what? Has a terrible ending to it. The name of this ministry is called the Narrow Junior High Ministry. Because we want to make sure that you are not on the wide path leading to destruction, but rather on the narrow path that leads to life. And not only do we want to make sure that you know how to be on the narrow road, but also once you get on the narrow road, which is the Christian life, how are you supposed to live? How do we do this? Well, let's think about this. Let's first think about this wide path. It says there's many people on this path. It's because Satan wants people doing their own thing. The wide path is characteristic of those who live their life not listening to what God wants ignoring what the Bible says. Those who say, I want to do my own thing. I just want to do what the rest of the world is doing, and I'm going to follow this way instead. The narrow path is those who say, I'm wanting to follow what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to submit myself to what God wants me to do. It's a difficult path. And Satan does whatever he can to try to trick people to say, hey, you should stay on this wide path. Look it. It's super easy. It's super nice. It's not difficult. You should stay on that. Well, the first thing that I want us to 
remember from this passage is we need to beware, write this down for point number one, beware Satan's wrong directions. We need to beware Satan's wrong directions. Satan wants to direct you and keep you on this wide path that we're all naturally on to begin with, rather than saying, hey, I want to submit myself to what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to rather follow what God wants me to do. Satan says, no, ignore that. Rather, do this thing instead. One flaw that I have is that, I mean, there's many flaws, but one in particular is that when I drive, I don't think very much. Seems kind of dangerous. <laughs> and it's not that, like, I'm not paying attention. It's just that, like, I'm not actively thinking, okay, like, turn here, turn here. When I get, like, get in my car, I, like, turn on music, or maybe someone's in the car and I'm talking with them, and I kind of, in my brain, just naturally be like, okay, there's only two places I'm really ever going to. It's either I'm going to church or I'm going home. And so, like, no matter whenever I start getting in my car, in my mind, I just naturally, like, start driving. It's like, all right, I'm going to church or I'm going home. And so... I start driving in my car and say, someone's in the car with me, say, Becca's with me. I'm driving down the road and we're like, okay, we're going to try to go to the beach. I'm not actively thinking like, hey, I need to go to the beach. I'm like, I'm talking to them, so I'm just going to go to church. <laughs> and so like I could start driving to church and then make the turn to get into church. And Becca's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> we're going to the beach. And I'm like, oh man, like, wait, we are? Yeah. Oh yeah, we are. We are going to the beach. Okay. So then I'm like, okay, focus, get back on, on the road. Okay. We're going to the beach. We're going to Laguna Beach. Start driving down that way. And then, like, I make a turn. I'm like, no, church is this way. And then she's like, where are you going? It's like, oh, yeah, sorry. I was thinking that I needed to go to church rather than, like, I'm supposed to go to the beach. And I didn't, don't think super often about, okay, this is where I need to be going. Oftentimes, I'll have, like, the phone no matter where we're going. I could be the most, like, simple place. Like, okay, I'm going to, like, Ralph's, which is, like, right down the street. And it's like, all right, I need to pull up directions just so I don't get lost because I'm not thinking while I'm driving. I'm just going with the flow. And that is the attitude that Satan wants us to have when we're living our lives, to not be thinking, to just say, oh, this is where everyone else is doing. This is what everyone else is going. So I'm just going to copy them. I'm not going to think about the actions that I make, the decisions that I choose. I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, everyone else in my school is doing that, so I'm going to do it too. Oh, yeah, all my friends on my sports team, they're doing that, so guess what? I'm going to do that too. Satan wants to do whatever he can to distract us from saying, hey, I need to be on this narrow road. I need to be on this narrow path. Furthermore, Satan tries to trick us into thinking that the wide road is better than the narrow road. He spouts out certain lies to get us to believe, oh man, I should stay on this wide road as opposed to go to the narrow road. Well, what are some of these wrong directions that Satan wants to give us? First one, write it down. Satan wants to convince us that the easy path is way more fun than the narrow path that the easy path, the wide path, is more fun than the difficult path, the narrow path. It's going to say, oh man, the wide path, you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. No matter what actions you do, it, it doesn't really matter. It's a lot of fun. You can watch what you want on TV, whether it's good or whether it's bad. You can list, listen to whatever type of music you want to. You can dress however you want to. You can do whatever you want to on this wide path. Do all kinds of things. Whatever the rest of the world is doing. Everyone at school, oh man, they're all talking like this. They're all dressing like this. They're saying these certain things that, oh man, if I was a follower of Jesus, if I was on the narrow path, man, I wouldn't be able to say those things. 
It doesn't sound super fun. It doesn't sound enjoyable. I don't want to do that. Satan wants to put that lie into our mind that's saying, oh, man, I'm going to stay doing what the world wants because it's way more fun. It's way more enjoyable. Oh, yeah, that's such a difficult path to go down that way. It's not even worth it in the end. He wants to teach us that, oh, those Bible Christians, they're so boring, uh, not fun, so restrictive. I got to do this. I got to do that. I can't say this, can't do that. Oh, man, if I just do what the world wants to, it's so much easier. That's one of the lies that Satan wants us to believe. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 reminds us of this. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. It's like, hey, I know what the world is going after, fame, popularity, money, power, all those things. Oh, it looks good. It looks great. Having everyone say, you're awesome, you're great. Hey, but guess what? Don't love the things that the world is going after. It says, if anyone loves the world, if you say, oh, I'm all about what the world's agenda is, the love of the Father is not in him. You're not a believer. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the things that look good, the things that attract us, the sinful things that, man, that looks good, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17, it reminds us, and guess what? The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Satan wants to say, hey, the wide path, it's way more fun. It's way more enjoyable. You should do whatever the world wants, but guess what? The world is passing away. Is it worth it to say, I'm going to do whatever the world wants for the next 70 to 80 years if I want to, and I'm going to forfeit eternity and spend it in hell? Or is it worth it to say, man, I'm going to live in accordance to what God wants me to for the next 70, 80 years, and guess what? For all of eternity, I'm going to have pleasures forevermore in heaven. Which is better? Which is more worth it? In our minds, we know which one's really worth it, but it's the lies that Satan tries to promote to say, no, it's worth it to do what the world wants. It's worth it to follow and do whatever they say. The next lie that Satan wants to convince us of is that the easy path is where everyone is. The easy path is where everyone is, which to an extent is a half-truth. The easy path Matthew 7, verse 13 says, is where many people are at. The majority of the world is on this wide path doing whatever they want. But is it really where everyone is? Not where everyone is. But Satan wants us to think that's what everyone is because it's like, I can't be the one left out. I can't be the one standing out. If everyone at school is talking this way, I can't be the weird Christian kid that doesn't talk about that. I can't be that weird Christian kid who doesn't talk poorly about the teachers. I can't be that weird Christian kid who doesn't like to gossip about others. Everyone else is doing that. Oh, I guess I, guess I should do it too. That's what Satan wants us to really think. Satan will try to use people in our lives to influence us to keep doing things that are in opposition to what God wants us to do. He uses the friends in your life if they're non-Christians, those friends in your life to say, hey, you should do these bad things. You should do these wrong things. Try to convince you that that's better than following God. Think in your mind right now, who are the friends that you have? Who are your closest friends? Do they influence you to 
do what God wants or do they influence you to do what the world wants? Do they say, oh yeah, disobeying God, going after the world, that's better. Or do they say, man, we need to take serious listening to God's word. We need to evaluate the friends that we have in our lives. That's why it's so important to be at a solid church like Compass and being connected in this narrow ministry because you're gonna make friends who are going to push you and encourage you to do what God wants you to do and not to do the opposite. Does it mean everyone at church is gonna do that? No, because guess what? Just because someone goes to church, that doesn't make them a Christian. Just because someone comes to the Nara every single week doesn't mean they're naturally pushing you to do what God wants. Just because you've grown up with the same friend group that's gone through Awana, or in the same edge small group, and now in the same narrow small group, doesn't mean that they're pushing you to the narrow path. They might just say, oh yeah, we live doing whatever we want, and let's just keep doing that. You need to evaluate who are the friends that you have in your life. Because Satan wants to trick us to say, oh man, everyone's doing the wrong thing, so I'm just going to do the same thing with them. The last lie, I know there's many that Satan tries to use to trick us into thinking the wide path is better. And one of those tricks is to say that the wide path does not lead to destruction. That doing whatever you want apart from God doesn't lead to eternal destruction damnation and hell. That doing whatever you want actually ends up in good things rather than ends up with bad. It's one of the lies that Satan wants to promote us. And if we look at Matthew 7, 13, and 14, it says that this wide path, the, the way that many people are on, it is easy. It looks good. It looks prosperous. The majority of wealthy people, the majority of powerful people, the majority of famous people are, guess what? They're on this path. And so Satan uses that to say, oh, look at all these rich, beautiful, powerful, famous. Look at all them. Look at how it's working out for them. And it's like, wow, it does seem like it's working out well for them. Maybe I should just do whatever they're doing, all the sinful things that they're doing, and I'll end up like them without realizing that, okay, it might be good in this life, but in the end, it's not good. It makes me think of that one store in the spectrum where they have like a bunch of chocolate in it and like they've got like those chocolate or caramel covered apples. So there's chocolate and there's caramel. You ever had a caramel covered apple before, a chocolate covered apple? Anyone? Yeah, like two people? Sweet. Um, you can relate then. So, and you like see them behind the glass and at the store that I'm talking about specifically, you can see them like making it all and then sometimes they'll put, like, pretty sprinkles on it. It's like, oh, it's so nice. Um, and, like, you can picture yourself getting one of those caramel or chocolate-covered apples, and you're like, man, that looks so good. It's like, yes, this is awesome. Like, thank you, Mom, for buying it. And then picture, like, as you're biting it and you're chewing it, and it's not an apple, it's an onion. It's like, oh, like, ah. Uh, they're like, ah, oh, we got you. It's like, oh, no, it looks so good. It looks so delicious. It was like, I want that thing. And then he bit into it, and you're like, oof, ouch. Bad decision. Should not have done it. Same thing with this wide path. Same thing with living our lives apart from God. Same thing with following after what the world wants us to do. It looks good. Oh, wow, look at that. Caramel apple, so good. But guess what? Oof, it's actually not a caramel apple. It's a caramel onion. Yum. 
Yeah, so stoked about that caramel onion. Yeah, delicious. Philippians 3.19 speaks about the destruction that comes from being on this wide path. It says, their end, talking about the people that are going on this wide path, their end is destruction. It says their God is their belly. What? Their God is their belly. Does that mean like food is their God? Like they just can't help eating? Uh, belly is another term for like their appetites, their sinful appetites that they had. Their God is, oh, whatever I wanted to do. And they glory in their shame. They are proud to do things that God says that's not good. They, t- they say, oh, this is glorious, these sinful things that they're doing. Well, those people who do that with minds set on earthly things, guess what? Their end is destruction. That's what Matthew 7, 13 talks about. But when Satan shows us the wide path, it's not like, oh, yeah, hey, hey, junior higher, go down this wide path. Guess what? It leads to destruction. <laughs> now who wants to go? Let's go. Yeah, Destruction. It's like, that's not how he's like promoting it. It's like, hey, look, you could be really wealthy if you do this. You could be famous if you do this. It's like, oh, that looks good. And then like a Venus flytrap, snap, you're caught and it's too late. You're trapped. These are some of the lies that Satan likes to tell us to keep us on the wide path, that the wide path is more fun, that the wide path is where everyone else is, that the wide path doesn't lead to destruction. So how do we ignore Satan's wrong directions? I almost picture like a cartoon where it's like someone's like being chased and then there's like two paths and then like he like turns the path, like turns the sign to like point the other way and the person runs down the other way. It's like, oh, I gotcha. It's like, how do we not be caught off guard by Satan's wrong directions? Well, the way to fight wrong directions is have our eyes focused on the right directions, which is this book right here. Constantly being in God's word, being all about, hey, keeping my eyes focused on, on the truth. What are the directions that God wants me to follow? It's like picture I was in the car with Benton, and I've got my phone up there because I don't know directions. So I've got the directions. I've got Waze because everyone likes Waze instead of Apple Maps. I don't know. Um, so I've got Waze up there, and I'm like, okay, I'm following the way, the Waze. Um, through it, I'm keeping my eyes on it, and, like, we're trying to go a certain way. And, like, Benton's like, oh, yeah, you turn right here. And I'm like, what? Like, that's, that's not where we're supposed to go. Um, and then Benton's like, oh, yeah, right here, right here. I was like, dude, the gas station's, like, right here. Like, it's not, it's not the place. And then, like, I ignore him. I keep going. And he's like, oh, no, turn left right here. And it's like, I'm not supposed to turn left. Benton, stop. Like, I'm not supposed to turn here. It's like, how would I, like, know whether what he's saying is like, oh, maybe I should turn right here because I'm not really thinking when I'm driving. So, sure, Benton, let's go this way. The only way that I'd be able to, like, ignore him is to be like, okay, I see that right here on the app it says this is where I'm supposed to go and I'm going to follow it. Same thing. This is our guide map. This is our directions on how to live. This is what we've got to be all about. Are we in God's word every single day? Are we in it? Do we read it? Do we study it? One thing that I'm stoked about this year in the narrow is that we're going to be using this thing called, I know one small group already uses it, called Flipgrid. Each small group this year is going to use this app called Flipgrid. And what you do with that is every day, each small group will have this app. And on the app, you can upload talking for like 30 seconds to a minute of, hey, this is what the DVR was about. Hey, this is something that I learned from the DVR, and this is something that I'm going to do about the DVR. 
I've seen some, like, the, one of the guys from group back there, you guys are doing it, and sometimes, like, I'll watch them on, like, Juan's phone, and it's like, in today's DBR, we're talking about, and it's like, whoa, is that Pastor John right there? It's like, um, but it's cool because you have the opportunity to talk and share about God's word with your small group and to hold each other accountable and say, hey, did you read the Bible today? Were you in God's word today? Did you pay attention to God's directions and what he wants you to do? What's something you learned about it? What's something you're going to do about it? And it's so helpful for us to talk about it with each other. It's a lot easier to be like, have a group chat and say like, oh, I read today. It's like, okay, cool. Or to type something up. But probably what one of your small groups uh, has learned so far is like, it's a lot harder to talk about God's word. It's like, whoa, okay, I read, I read today's EBR. What, what am I supposed to say about it? It's a lot more challenging when you've got to put into your own words, like, okay, what do I say about what I learned? What do I say about what it wanted me to do? It's a lot more challenging, but guess what? That's how we build up getting God's word stuck in our minds and in our hearts, where we say, okay, now I really understood what I said. It's like the same thing what they say about teachers. It's like you really have mastered a subject when you can teach it to someone else. Like you've heard that before? Like you know you've really got something down if you're able to explain it and teach it to like a younger person. Have you heard that before? Some of you guys? No? Um, that's like when you really have it down, if you can explain it to someone else in like simple terms. It's like, you know how you really can have God's word down? It's like one memorizing, but being able to say what you just read. It's like now you've really got ingrained in your mind. You need to be in God's word to combat Satan's lies and Satan's wrong directions to try to keep us on this wide path rather than the narrow road. Well, maybe there are some of you in this room who aren't Christians, who are on this wide path, and maybe you're at a point of saying, okay, I want to become a Christian. I want to join this narrow road. I want to start living how God wants me to live. Well, before you jump onto this narrow road, you need to know what to expect. Point number two, you need to expect obstacles on the narrow road. Expect obstacles on the narrow road. Living the Christian life is not easy. It's a challenge. It's hard. It's not all bunnies and rainbows and cotton candy. It's like, it's challenging. It's not easy to always do the right thing when everyone else is. And so before you say, okay, I'm ready to become a Christian, I'm ready to do what God wants me to do, to follow Christ, you need to know, hey, it's going to be hard. Rather than just jumping into it and being like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to follow Jesus. And then when it gets hard, it's like, oh, I'm out of it. Oh, no, I'm not doing it. It's like some people that I know who, it's like, oh, man, they are like, hey, do you, do you guys want to, like, should, they think as a family, like, should we, should we get a pet? Should we get a dog? It's like, oh, man, yeah, we should totally get a dog. And then, like, they make that decision in, like, two days. So they get a dog, and then, like, it's a week later, and it's like, why did we get this dog? It's like the dog's just, like, destroying the house, and it's like, we did not think this through. It's like, we've got to live with this dog for the next, like, until it dies. It's like, or until we die, whichever one's first. It's like, we're stuck with this dog, or we're going to give it away, but that's kind of mean. Why would you, you know, I guess you could give it away. But it's like, we're stuck with this dog for a long time. And we didn't really think through how costly it would be to own a dog. Same thing is true about joining and going on this narrow path. This isn't this thing where you can jump onto the narrow road, and as you're going down the narrow road, something hard comes in the way, and you're like, oh, guess what? I'm back on the wide path. I'm done. That's it. I'm done. 
No, if you're on the narrow road, you're all in on the narrow road. So before you make the decision, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to join this narrow road, you need to realize it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. Well, how do we know this? Mark 8.34, Jesus tells us that following him is going to be difficult. Mark 8.34, it says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, so he says to the crowd and the disciples, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Which means to say no to yourself. Hey, you want to follow me? Guess what? Get ready to say no to yourself. What? Yeah, not only that, be ready to deny yourself and to take up a cross and follow me. What? All right, hey everyone, who's ready to follow Jesus? Here, I'm going to give you this seven foot to nine foot cross that weighs like over 150, 165 pounds. Here, carry this cross. Who wants to become a Christian? All right, here. Who wants to follow Jesus? Come here. Pick up this cross and start carrying it with you the rest of your life. <laughs> Have fun with that. See you on TNN. It's like, what? Could you imagine you like going home after TNN, like with a seven foot, 150 pound cross? And if you had like school on Monday, you like carrying it with you, and people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Jesus said to carry my cross. So I'm like carrying this cross around. It's like, okay, you're really weird. Um, but like, picture like everywhere you had to go. Think of like how quickly you'd get tired. Some of, like most of you guys, does anybody in this room weigh over 165 pounds? It's like, I don't even weigh 165 pounds. It's like, that's a heavy cross. It's like, I don't even know if you could get that like up into your room if you live in the second story. Well, the idea of this, of denying yourself and taking up your cross, Jesus is making it clear that, hey, if you're willing to follow me, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be challenging. It's gonna be difficult. Just like carrying a cross around is gonna be difficult. You gotta say no to yourself. And rather, say yes to what I want you to do. It's difficult. Well, what are some of these challenges that are on the narrow road? What are some of these difficulties that we face on the narrow road? Well, one thing is if you decide to follow Christ, if you decide to put your trust in Christ and say, I'm going to live for what he wants me to do, guess what comes with that? Persecution, suffering, being mocked, being made fun of, people saying, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. There are real ramifications that come in your life if you say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Saying, hey, Christian, Christ suffered for you, leaving the example for you to follow. Guess what? Christ suffered? Get ready to suffer, Christian. Yeah. It's like, what? Doesn't sound fun. What about the passage where Jesus says, oh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Like, that sounds a lot more, a lot more fun. And Jesus says, hey, be ready. I suffered, and those who also choose to follow me are going to suffer as well. Think about Jesus' apostles, his first disciples. They suffered so much. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs where you could read how they died. They didn't just die from old age. They didn't just die from their sleep. Only one of them actually died a peaceful death. And by peaceful, I mean he was banished to an island to live there until he died. It's like, oh, that sounds super peaceful. Not really. They all died torturous deaths because they said, hey, I'm willing to follow Jesus, and I know that that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but guess what? Because it's 
better in the end. Not only is the challenge of the narrow road that there's suffering and persecution that comes, but secondly, it's being on the narrow road means that your life becomes more restrictive. Becomes more restrictive. What do I mean by that? It means you have to follow a lot more rules than someone who's living on the wide path. It means that if you're going to commit to be on this narrow road, that you don't get to play the same video games that everyone else on the wide path gets to. It means that you don't get to watch and indulge in the same movies that the rest of the world gets to indulge in. It means that you don't get to dress the same way that the rest of the world says this is how we should dress. It means that you don't get to have the same friends that the rest of the world says these are the friends that you should have. It means that you don't get to act the same way that the rest of the world gets to act. It's a challenge. It's difficult. The persecution that comes from following Christ and also the restrictive nature of how we need to obey God's word. Those of us who say we're committed to following Christ, he's the Lord. I'm going to do what my Lord tells me to do in God's word. It's difficult. And that's why here in the narrow, you need someone that you can look up to as an example of how to live on the narrow road even when obstacles come in life. That's why you have small group leaders. You have leaders, and you're going to find out this Wednesday who your specific leader is, who the co-leader with them is going to be, and who's going to be in your group, so that you can really get to know your leader, so that you can say, hey, man, this is someone I can look up to. This is a godly guy or a godly girl that I can look up to of what it looks like to live on the narrow road, what it looks like to be a genuine follower of Jesus. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, I can look up to their example and say, I'm going to copy them. I'm going to copy Noah. I'm going to copy Becca. I'm going to copy Kaylee. I'm going to copy Cammie as they follow Jesus. And oh man, if it's difficult, I can say, hey, I need some help. What would you do in this situation? Those godly examples, more mature people in their faith that we can say, hey, I need some help. How, How would a Christian respond in this situation? Even this difficulty in my life, what would a Christian do? Got these leaders in our life, need to copy their example. Well, if the narrow road is more restrictive and it doesn't seem like it's more fun, why is it even worth it to be on the narrow road and follow Jesus rather than not? Is it even worth it? In your mind, think through, if someone said it's not worth it to follow Jesus, would you even have a response? Or would you be like, uh... It's better. Well, why is it better? It just is. <laughs> or would you have like a, a response to wh- why is living for Jesus better than living for this world? It doesn't seem like it. What would you say? There's a couple reasons why the narrow path is, is way better. Well, first is that there is never an easy way to greatness. Greatness always comes as a result of hard work and toil. Think about it. What athlete rose to the top, the best athlete out there, by putting in no work at all? Uh, Can't think of any. All the great athletes that we see was a result of years and years of doing hard things, waking up early in the morning, putting this hard toil into it. So we see greatness achieved through doing hard hard things, that good things come as a result of even going down difficult roads and doing difficult and hard things. Well, also, 
No one ever arrived at a masterpiece by a shortcut. Think about it. No great artist paints this magnificent picture like the Mona Lisa, which recently got a pie to the face by some crazy person. But no one uh, painted the Mona Lisa and be like, oh yeah, it took me like five minutes. It's like, it's like, oh yeah, this is a great masterpiece. It's like my stick figure drawing. It's like, no. Like, I think masterpieces come as a result of like lots and lots of hard work. So good things come from difficult things. And part of the narrow path for the Christian is God refining that Christian to be more like Christ, which is a really good thing. Making us more holy, which is greatness in God's kingdom, not this kingdom. Second reason why it's worth it is because where the end of these paths lead to. Destruction versus life. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It talks about some of the difficulty of following after Jesus. That it's not going to be easy. But it also balances the goodness of following Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8. It says, we, which is talking about Christians, are afflicted in every way. That doesn't sound fun. Afflicted, hardship, difficulty. That's not good. We're afflicted in every way, but guess what? We're not completely crushed. We are perplexed, we're confused, but we're not driven to despair. We're not downcast. We're persecuted. People are harming us for what we believe, but guess what? We're not forsaken. God doesn't cast us aside. We're struck down. People might strike us down as Christians, but guess what? We are not destroyed. There are real hardships that come to following Christ, but at the end of this passage, verse 16, it says, but we do not lose heart. Although our outer self, our bodies are wasting away, even though people might harm us physically and it looks like our bodies are falling apart, it might hurt us. Guess what? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're becoming more like Christ through this hardship. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, yeah, that persecution that you're going through, the mockery that you're coming through, Paul describes it here as light and momentary. How can being afflicted, being persecuted for following Jesus be light and momentary? This is why. Read verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's because what this persecution for following Christ leads to is eternal life with Jesus forever. And although it looks difficult, it looks challenging, guess what? It's preparing you and it's light and it's momentary because the greatness of heaven, the goodness of heaven is beyond comparison. Way greater than we can imagine. The greatest thing ever for all of eternity, not just for 70, 80 years, eternity. It's a long time. That's like a year, plus 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 a year. All right, catch it on. It's a long time. Eternity. It says, oh, man, but, I, uh, but following Jesus is so difficult right now. 
Well, is it worth it to be hurting in the short term for greater long term? Or is it better to have all you want in these 78 years and eternity to be suffering? It's way better for that. Psalm 73, verses 12 through 17 is a passage that I want you to write down. So this is a, a psalm where you can look at after, where David looks at the people of the world who are sinning and doing what they want, and it seems like it's better. It seems like, oh man, not coming to church, not listening to the Bible, not even reading the Bible, it seems like it's working out better for those people who don't do that. And here I am, David, who, who's, David's trying to do the right thing, and guess what? It's hard, it's difficult, it's like, it seems like it's better for them. But he reminds himself of what their end is, and he's reminded, man, it is way better to follow what God wants me to do. Back in Matthew chapter 7, he made clear these two different paths. And the command, the one command that is given in these two verses is at the beginning of verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Hey, there's these two paths. Wide one, narrow one. Wide one, destruction, narrow one leads to life. Well, guess what? In order to get onto the narrow path, you've got to enter through this narrow gate. You've got to enter through it. Okay, how, how do I do that? What, what is this narrow gate? Do I just need to go find some small gate and like look, look through it? Well, in order to enter through the narrow gate, first you would have to admit that you were on the wide gate or you're the wide path. You're going on the wide path. Or maybe you are a Christian in this room and you are already on the narrow path. You need to figure out which path you're on. Point number three, you need to evaluate which path you're on. Which one? If you're on the narrow path, keep living and doing what God wants you to do. But if you're on this wide path doing whatever the world wants to, you need to enter through the narrow gate. So how do we enter into it? Is it by doing good things? Well, Matthew 5.20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Oh, well, I need this certain high level of righteousness, this perfect righteousness, never doing anything wrong, or else I can't enter the kingdom of God. It's like, well, I'm not that good, so it must not be good works. Well, how do we enter? John 10, 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the entrance way. What? Jesus, Jesus become a door? <laughs> John 14, 6 gives us some clarity. Jesus said to him, I'm sure you know this one by, by memory, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only way for us to get onto this narrow path is through Jesus, by putting our trust in Jesus, by saying, Jesus is the one who's in charge of my life. I can do what he wants me to do from now on. I'm resolved to have Jesus be the one that's in charge. That's how you enter through it. And it's interesting how this verse says it's the way to get to the 
narrow way is to enter the narrow gate. Enter. You actually have to walk through the gate. A good way to picture this narrow, small gate is like, say you're entering like an amusement park, and it's like got that thing that sticks out, you know, you've got to like walk through it, and it's like one person at a time. It's because becoming a follower of Jesus isn't something where it's like, okay, everyone, hey, you and me, yeah, let's, let's do it together. It's no, it's between you and God. It's one person at a time going into and saying, I'm trusting in Jesus. It doesn't say to look at the narrow gate. It doesn't say measure the narrow gate. It doesn't say, oh, look at how big it is. It says you got to enter through it. That's the difference between saying, I know who Jesus is and saying, my trust is in Jesus. Oh, I know what Jesus did. That's like you saying, oh, I know how a gate works, so I entered it. It's like, what? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I agree that Jesus is the way to, to God. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, that's like you saying, like, oh, yeah, I agree. Like, walking through that gate is the way to get to God, but you're just standing there and not doing anything about it. What we do is by trusting in Christ. And I like the picture of this narrow, small door. Because think about how humbling it would be for you to have to walk through a little gate if it was like this big. Imagine, like, to get into this auditorium, it wasn't like these two big wide doors. It was like this big of an entrance. It's like, what? So, like, when we're all coming into the narrow, I have to, like, get down on all fours and, like, crawl through this door while everyone's, like, looking at my behinds, like, what? Like, that's weird. I think it shows, like, a little bit of a humbling aspect to it, that to go through this narrow door, it's not, hey, open up, open it up, look at me as I'm com coming through this narrow gate. It's humbly going down into this small door. It's a humiliating aspect because it's humiliating to say, I'm not going to be in charge anymore. It's going to be God. It's humiliating. It's humbling to do that. But guess what? It's the only way to get onto the path that leads to life. In your time in the narrow, we're going to be all about these things. We're going to constantly point you to the, the narrow road. Say, hey, you need to put your trust in Christ and start living in the way that God wants you to. And guess what? That leads to life. We're going to point you to the narrow road. We're going to prepare you to live life on the narrow road by pointing you to God's word. Constantly, every sermon, opening up God's word in small groups, talking about it. Even as we go through books at the park hangouts, it's going to be talking about biblical principles, saying, because we got to be prepared to live how God wants us to live. And also, we're going to practice how to live on the narrow road along with you guys. That's why we have all the leaders in this ministry who are here to come alongside of you, to befriend you, to be the example for you, and to say, hey, this is what it looks like to live like a Christian. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have your word, which gives us clarity on what you want us to do. We know that Everyone in this world is either on the wide path or the narrow path, and everyone in this, ro in this room is on one of two. I pray that we wouldn't be deceived by Satan's lies that say that the 
wide path is better, for us to see the importance of following the directions of your word by trusting in Christ and then living how you want us to. Help us to take that seriously. Help us to be eager for how you're going to grow us this year in the narrow. And we ask that you would be honored and glorified through this upcoming season. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.